Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Monday, December 7th, 2020. I hope you enjoyed our mini series on breastfeeding that finished last week, and I hope you had a nice weekend. Today, you're in for a real treat. My guests, plural, on today's podcast, everything I do, I doula for you, are Stephanie King and Courtney Clegg. Stephanie and Courtney are certified doulas and childbirth educators in Utah. Great state, by the way. They run an online birth course called My Essential Birth, which can be found at www.myessentialbirth.com. And they also have a terrific podcast, which is titled Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy. If you like this podcast, I think you're going to like theirs. And if you dislike this podcast, I still think you're going to like theirs. Today, we talk about the role of doulas and how they can be helpful for pregnant women prior to delivery, in labor, as well as postpartum. We review the interesting triangle between the woman in labor, her doula, and the obstetrician, and when that threesome goes really well, and when it might be a disaster. One of the things I really loved about speaking with Stephanie and Courtney is the fact that the three of us realized very quickly that although we come at birth from such different angles, our overarching philosophies are actually quite aligned. Spoiler alert, they also turned the table on me, and I'm going to be a guest on their podcast in a few weeks. I'll update that info when I know more. For now, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Special shout out to those of you old enough to know the song reference in the title. Have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. I'm here with Stephanie King and Courtney Clegg, who are the creators of My Essential Birth and the podcast, Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy. Thanks for coming on Healthful Woman. I'm so happy you guys are here. We're happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Just so our listeners understand, who are you guys? Where are you? Where are you from? What do you do? What's your story? Just jump right into it. So Stephanie and I are both professional doulas and childbirth educators. We both kind of felt called to birth work as as a lot of people often do. You know, we both had amazing childbirth experiences ourselves. And when you have an experience like that, that kind of changes who you are and changes how you see yourself and how you view bringing life into the world. You can't help but kind of shout it from the rooftops. And I think that's how a lot of people move into birth work. I know that was certainly true for me. I think, Steph, you'd say the same thing as well. Yeah. That's awesome. So I know that we've been circling this date for a while. I found your podcast and listened to it, and I think it's awesome. And I hope my listeners listen to it as well. And the interesting thing is, Courtney and I had a conversation sort of to prep for this. And it's so interesting that, you know, you guys are, you know, your doulas and you're coming at it from one angle. And I'm doing like high risk obstetrics, the other angle, but there's so much overlap in terms of like philosophy and how we think about these things, which is, I'm not surprised by it because I see that a lot, but it is fascinating that you have people from such different angles looking at the same thing in a similar way. Yeah. Well, and wouldn't you kind of consider that that gold standard of care? If you could have people from completely different viewpoints looking at 
what you want for the mom, that best possible outcome for mom, and coming at it with all that information, I mean, that would be that gold standard of care that we talk about. I agree. And I think that it's ideal. It doesn't always happen that way, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll talk about that. Occasionally, there is conflict. But usually, it shouldn't be that way. It really, there, there's no need for it to be that way is what I would say. Yeah, I agree. I think if, again, if you're looking at this from the perspective of the woman and her best interest, then really anybody entering that birth space, and we see this especially as doulas, you know, sometimes we're invited and people feel happy for us to be there that are other than the parents being other professionals or family members. And sometimes we're not. But our ultimate goal when we're dealing with a mother is to make sure that her birth space is protected and that she feels empowered and has a joyful experience. And I think that does take a decent amount of skill. It takes some of that stepping back in certain situations or leaning in in, in others, but ultimately making sure that she has a good experience overall is really important. I think when any woman's assembling her dream birth team, one of the things she should be looking for is cohesiveness amongst the group. Are we all on the same page in terms of goals? You know, this is what I want out of my birth experience. Does my provider want to support me in that? Does he want or she want the same for me? And what about the rest of the people on my birth team? When it's a green light for all of them, I think that's where a lot of amazing, powerful experiences where the magic happen. happens. Yeah. The magic. <laughs> yeah. That's where the magic happens. So how did you two find each other? When I looked at this, I was like, oh, court, like we're in love, right? <laughs> <laughs> you tell it this time. <laughs> We met at a doula training. Dona, the organization, was holding a workshop in Salt Lake City, and she and I both happened to be next to each other and kind of hit it off. We found out that we were teaching the same natural childbirth method, so we had a lot of commonalities there. We were both homeschooling moms. I really admired Stephanie right from the start. Well, that's uh, what a nice story. And so what what is it that makes you two a good team? We discuss this a lot because the thing is, Courtney and I, while we the basics of what we do, the very base core of what we do, we have a lot of the same beliefs and values that we hold not only for ourselves, but for the work that we do. But if you've listened to our podcast or you're in the birth course with us, you'll know that we come from very different spectrums on several issues. And I actually think that's such a benefit to women at first. I mean, we went through our growing pains in our relationship, right, Courtney? Everybody does. Yeah. We argued, we hung up on each other. We like had to work through some things. But when it came down to it, we were able to take those differences and realize this is such a blessing for mothers everywhere. Because the truth is, no two mothers are the same. You're going to see things differently. It's the same with care providers. I'm sure you run into that all the time. And so, what a blessing for women to be able to see that. You don't have to be seeing things the same and you can still come together for that better good, that good purpose. I think I tend to approach things emotionally first and address the physical later. Stephanie's kind of the reverse of that. But I think that's really a powerful combination to have because then when you're talking about birth preparation, you can talk about it from all these different angles and not necessarily value one higher than the other. Like Steph said, I think that even with our differences, we've been able to put our mission of helping women have amazing birth experiences above personal egos. And I think that makes us such a great team. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Now, you didn't mention this. uh, And Stephanie, you may not know this, but Courtney told me that you're the more granola of the two. Am I? I I thought you were more granola. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Is anyone out there a psychiatrist? (laughs) (laughs) We did a crunchy podcast episode and I thought, did I score higher on that? I thought you did. Maybe not. Maybe I'm more granola. Let's talk it up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of a granola MFM. I'm a little bit of a, I guess so. I'm, I'm all, I'm into all that. I think it's awesome. I feel though like not everybody starts off this way. In my defense, prior to having children, when I was married, 
I'm never going to homeschool my kids. Those kids are weird. I'm never going to have an <laughs> unmedicated. I'm never going to have an unmedicated what? birth. Those women are martyrs. Like you know, put my foot in my mouth several times, and here I am having checked so many of the things I said I would never do. <laughs> You know, it's a, it's an evolution. And you guys were both originally doing Bradley method, correct? Yes. Yep. That's what we taught. Right. And so just so our, our listeners understand, what, what does that even mean? Like where you were, like, what is the Bradley method? And then, or, you know, briefly, and then what did you move into that's maybe a little bit different from that? So the Bradley method was developed in part by Dr. Robert Bradley. And he's got a book that called Husband Coach Childbirth. It's a great book. There's really some amazing principles in there that hold true and stand the test of time for helping women to have really powerful, they call it natural birth experiences. We tend to prefer the term unmedicated simply because, you know, to me, all birth is natural, right? So right. we say unmedicated, but it's a natural birthing method that's, I don't want to say hardcore, but it's kind of, you do it this way, this is the only way. That's something Stephanie and I, we both took and taught and we got a lot from it. But one of the things we had in common was there was more that we were wanting out of what we were teaching the women. There was more that we felt like should be offered to them. And that's kind of what got us started on the path of creating our own course. And Bradley Method, like we said, we both took it. You Part of like to become a teacher, you have to take the method and have a Bradley birth. So you have to use the method and have your unmedicated birth experience. You have to but have I a think... baby yourself to be a Bradley Method to do this? Yeah. Yes. Oh. And you have to have Whoa. had an unmedicated Bradley birth to be able to teach it. Oh, my yes. God. You've got you've Which... to do it. Oh, my God. That's... Yeah. So I, yeah. guess, I, I guess I can't then. All right. I'm out. <laughs> Sorry, you're out, man. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're a mom and that's your goal, then it sounds really exciting. But the problem was, is what happens when you get thrown those kinks or, you know, the it just doesn't go the exact way that you had planned for it to go. And then you have to come back and look all of those other members in the face and say, oh, like you had your natural birth, this unmedicated experience, and I had a cesarean. How does that make you feel? The truth is there's a lot of different, we call it like when we do our birth planning within our birth course, we call it a map because there's an end destination, which is obviously that mom, baby, and everyone involved is safe and, and healthy and well. But there's a lot of ways to get there. And your path might look completely different from another mother's path. And how you feel about that experience will look different depending on how much say you have along the way. And that's kind of our main point. The other part that we were seeing is that we had many people reaching out to us that we couldn't accommodate. It's a 12-week series, which is great because that's a in -person ton. Series. In person. Yeah. It's a yeah. ton of one-on-one -on -one time. But what about all the other mothers that were coming close to their due dates or that we didn't have schedules that met their needs? We were leaving a lot of people out that deserve to have the information. The first thing is I also agree. I have a hard time with the term natural related to childbirth and people use it. It's fine. Like whatever. I'm not going to, you know, argue with them, but you know, natural means different things to different people. I mean, I have, I've had women who say I want this pregnancy, pregnancy be as natural as possible. And meanwhile, it was an IVF pregnancy with an egg donor and a sperm donor. And it's like, oh, okay. Like that's not natural, but fine. If that's, if that's how they view it, that's how they view it. But for the women who have a different experience, you know, if they have an epidural and deliver vaginally, some women call that natural and others don't. And if you have a, a cesarean and it's all these things, it's it's natural to have children and it's natural to make decisions about how you want to have children. I think it's also natural to want to avoid pain. That's natural, right? So it's it's just an odd term to use. And I think it's too loaded and it ends up being wonderful for people who sort of get what they thought they were going to get and potentially very upsetting 
for women who don't get it because it's viewed as like they did something wrong. We yeah. couldn't agree more. Yeah, like Steph said, it was just hard to have, you know, a reunion of my birth class students. And we know that about five to 10% of women are going to need a cesarean birth for their health or for the baby's health or both. And for those women to come to that little after party and feel any kind of shame or disappointment in their experience. I just, my heart ached for those women. Nobody should have to feel that way about their birth experience, especially if they they did everything right, so to speak, right? I'm doing air quotes. If they <laughs> they took the class, they did the information, they tried to implement and apply those principles. But like Steph said, they got thrown some curveballs. You can't always control that and, and you shouldn't have to feel bad about that. Yeah. And same with mothers that choose medication. There's nothing wrong with choosing an epidural. In fact, there's better times to get one. And we talk about that. I think that should be an option. Yeah. And I think that another issue is sometimes it's really not so much the the events or the outcome, but it's how women view their experience through it and what their journey was, like you said. So for example, if you nailed it, yeah, you, That's two, it exactly. yeah, you have two women who both you know went into this thinking, I want to have an unmedicated vaginal delivery. I really, really want this. This is my goal. I'm going to work towards it. And let's say both of them end up with an epidural and a cesarean, right? Which is exactly what they, I mean, healthy baby they wanted, but that wasn't the experience they wanted. But the first one, it just sort of like, you know, it happened to her. She wasn't a part of the conversation. Her provider just sort of told her, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And she feels like she was left out of that. She's going to be much more miserable than maybe the other one who understood what, it, what was happening going into it, had conversations with her provider, was part of the decision-making process. And on the back end, okay, it wasn't what she thought she was going to get, but ultimately it was her journey and not something that just happened to her. That's exactly it. It really makes me wonder, where did you learn that? Because that is not necessarily the verbiage or the viewpoint, viewpoint that us. we see. And that's from personal experience. And it's from watching women going through it time and time again. So I'd love to know more about that. I was raised right. I don't know. I mean, like, it's, I don't think this is, I, I don't. I, Has this always been your approach? Like from medical school on, this has just been how you felt about it? Or did, did this develop and evolve? I can't say that when I was, you know, in eighth grade, I thought much about women's birth experience and how I was going <laughs> to guide them through what? it. It probably didn't come up much until, yeah, at least high school. No, I, I don't know. It's, it's I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I think that ultimately it's a combination of things. I think by, by nature, I tend to be a little bit more laid back and conversational and I like, you know, it's in include people and talk to people. And I think also I was fortunate to have good examples when I was training people that I gravitated towards who I thought were really good doctors. And I also midwives. I mean, when you're training in medical school and obstetrics gynecology, there should be and there frequently are midwives around and we're encouraged to learn from them as well, obviously. And yeah, I think I was just fortunate to be, you know, to have maybe a, an inclination towards that and then be guided by the right people in that path. And I think there's a lot of really good providers out there who do that. And I think that in my experience, it's actually the majority. But I think there's some people they just can't pull it off. And it ends up being combative between the doctor and the patient. The doctor may not even know it, right? It's just the patient feels that way on the on the way out. Unless I'm sure there's people feel that way about me and I just got it wrong. I, you know, I thought I was doing a certain <laughs> way and 
but it's not how we try to do it. I just think it's it's unfortunate if it happens the other way. How did you come to this realization just because you went through it yourself? For me personally, it was totally how I was treated. And at the end of the day, I think most of our right, like when you go to counseling or you're talking to people about things, what you're really expressing is the emotion behind it. It's how you felt in any given experience that makes it good or bad or neutral. And so when you come up upon people who don't respect your opinion or choices that you would like to make about your body or maybe don't even give you the opportunity to voice them, or at least that's how you felt, as you said, when you leave the office, then it does make for a less than good experience. And it is, I will be honest, it is not easy to stand back as a doula because something that we have to do is respect that space. We have to respect the provider. And not only do they deserve that respect, but the mother deserves that cohesiveness that Courtney was talking about within that birth space. But I have seen providers or outside influences, even family members or friends who say things to women or don't allow them the opportunity to have their own experience walking through that birth space. And it does affect them for a very long time. Unfortunately, I think we get a lot of those second time moms that are like, I didn't have this good experience and now I'm seeking for something better. You know, how how wonderful would it be if we had people that worked from the beginning to give mothers their options and informed consent and said, what do you want? This is the reality of the situation that's in front of us, here's your options. How can we work through this together instead of this is the way it's going to be. So we hope we hope you enjoy it. You know, (laughs) I would say at least 50% of the women who um, come into our course are women who have had babies before and they didn't like how they felt about it. They didn't like how they were treated. And I still view that as we have some work to do here and all around the world, right? We want to see that number go down. We want women to have positive birth experiences right from the start, but it's a two-way street, right? There's a work that needs to be done on the part of the providers. But one of the things we're trying to help women to recognize is that, but it's also work that you have to do on your part as well. You have to put in the time to educate yourself on your options and what consent looks like and what's reasonable to expect from your birth experience and things like that. So, you know, and and not to go in with your fists up, you know, like if you go in combative with your provider, like this is how I want it, get out of my way. How good is that going to be too? So yeah, there, it's just a communication thing. I think at, at the core, it really has to do with communication. I agree. I think it really comes down to being a good communicator in both directions. Like you said, I think that the provider should be a good communicator and so should the woman, the family going through this. And it's communication obviously doesn't mean how well do I speak? It's mostly how well do I listen, right? Which is really, (laughs) which is really, you know, two ears, one mouth, listen twice as much as you speak. One of the interesting things you said is your own experience, but I have not found in my own observations that either looking at, let's say, women providers, that the ones who have children are better than the ones who don't, or that women in general are better than men providers at this meeting. I don't know if the experience of birth will lead everybody to understanding more about it. I think people who maybe have that innately have it, and people who don't, don't. And I think a lot of it is just the personality of the person and just what's their disposition and how comfortable are they with conversation as opposed to rules. And different people are different with that. One of the other things you said about starting early is so important also. And, you know, talking here, it sounds like I'm okay with everything. I'm not like, listen, I'm a doctor, I'm an obstetrician, I'm a maternal fetal medicine specialist. I'm not comfortable with everything that a woman might ask me for or what she wants to do. But the point is, I'm okay telling her that. Meaning if if I'm meeting with someone and she says, you know, I really like it to be A, B, and C, I'm more than comfortable to say to her, I'm 
totally fine with A, B, let's figure out, but C is just on the other side of the line for me. I can't do that for you. And that's okay. Like it's, it's polite. It's pleasant. This is just, you know, this is who I am. This is who you are. You know, my brackets only go so far, so wide, you know, either logistically, I can't do that for you. Like, you know, woman says I want a water birth. I'm like, well, we don't have water. You know, like we don't have a pool. Right. This is not an option. So, okay. Or there's certain things that she wants that I feel either, either I feel they're not safe or it's just not something that I'm comfortable doing. And you don't want your provider being in a position that he or she's uncomfortable because then they won't, they won't perform well, that they won't do what they're supposed to do. But if you have the conversation early, she can make a decision like, well, I like this guy. I like his office. I like where it is. I can handle not having C and I'll be fine. Or at the deal breaker, I'm going to go somewhere else. And that's great. If she needs to go somewhere else, that's okay. Like, you know, she should have what she wants. And if I can't provide it, I can't provide it. But those conversations should not be happening three days before you're going to deliver because then there's nowhere to go. And that's happened. I've had people who are talking to me about very specific things that they really, really need or want. I'm like, we can't do that. And she's like, well, I'm, where should I go? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, you're due tomorrow. Like, what, you know, what are we supposed to do here? And so it, it is something that has to happen early. And another thing, which is, and this is why I'm, I'm a little bit discouraged in the, you know, as we move forward, is so much of this is based on the relationship between the woman and her provider that that personal relationship, that there's trust, you know, they trust each other. And that is becoming more and more difficult to build in our healthcare system. Visits are shorter. You see different people. They have someone taking care of you for pregnancy, someone else taking care of you for delivery. And there's nothing better than trust in this situation. If I trust that, you know, she's with me and she trusts that I'm with her, it's all going to work out. And if you can't build that trust, it's very hard. We have had women within our course who who come to us what I would consider fairly late in the game to start getting educated. We never turn anybody away. In fact, we've had women who are like, I'm 39 weeks. And we're like, <laughs> okay, bust out the course in a day and you'll be good to go. So I think that we, I've personally known women who have switched providers with a week left in their pregnancy or the middle, because sometimes they realize that the person that they're with, they're not seeing eye to eye on things. But we totally agree with you that conversation should happen as early in the pregnancy as possible so you can be with the right provider you know as early as you can and build that relationship you know i know like and trust you and because of that we're going to be able to understand one another and and come to some agreements on best care for myself and my baby. Yeah. In fact, that's the number one thing that we stress. We I don't know how many podcasts we say it in, like every single one maybe, that aside from preparing yourself with education and knowledge and all that, that's wonderful. But if you do not have a provider that you trust and you can work with and you can ask questions and get informed consent and have that strong relationship with, you could have the best birth plan and all the knowledge in the world and it's not going to work out probably the way that you want it. Because when it comes down to it, that provider is going to be the one making very important decisions for you during your pregnancy and throughout the birth. And so you have to be able to have that communication early on or it, it does make for a more difficult process, I guess. That was another big factor why we created the podcast in the first place and why we created an online course is because we felt like the reach could be bigger. If we can find women sooner and let them know all these awesome things that we've talked about, right? Like make sure you're with the right provider early on. Here's some great questions to ask to see if you guys kind of align in terms of your goals and your approach to this. We felt like we could find women sooner if we had these online resources. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And I have my own opinions on this, but I'm curious from your personal experiences and also your expertise as you know educators and doulas, how would you advise women? In what way could they figure out if their provider is someone they can trust? What are sort of the hints, uh, either in a good way or in a bad way? I mean, because a lot of people are like, I don't know, like, you know, he seems nice. She seems nice. Like, how do I know if I can trust them? Like, wh- what is it that they should be looking for in their provider? So the first thing that we tell them to do is to visualize their birth because different women are going to have different ideas of what a good provider looks like for them based on what they want their experience to look like. So we actually include like a a meditation practice where it's like pause and be quiet, be still for a moment and take yourself through the entire pregnancy and birth process. What does a comfortable conversation look like with you and your provider? If you are one of those women that's like, I want to go completely unmedicated and I want to use a water birth and you have all that stuff on your list. Well, if you go to a a provider that doesn't offer any of those things, then it's going to be a little trickier. So if you can visualize the process first and write down your top things before you get into interviewing providers, that's number one. Number two is interviewing providers. (laughs) How often are we like, who's the closest and within my insurance? (laughs) And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That provider can still help you have a healthy, happy experience. But is that going to be the best provider for you? That's a great question. So once you have those things underway, I think it's important to bring in that list of information. These are my top things. What are you and and bringing them up to the provider? What do you feel about these? Or what's most important to you? Or what's What's your experience? Your experience, your background. We have women ask a lot is what's your cesarean? rate. Um, Obviously, somebody who's a high-risk doctor is going to have a higher rate, right? But it it matters because a woman's experience is very important. A woman's experience matters through the process because she's going to take it with her for the rest of her time. We do talk about red flags, and that's a different situation. And I would say those piece by piece, like it depends on the woman and the situation as to what we would consider a red flag. Mm, I'm curious what the red flags are. How many and how and how many I'm holding right now? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, I can give you an example of one. If we have a mother who's had a cesarean birth, you know, is otherwise having a healthy pregnancy, maybe the second time around. So she really wants that VBAC, that vaginal birth after cesarean. And she's meeting with her provider. And you can just tell from the language that he's, you know, well, I really strongly recommend that my parent patients who have had prior cesarean continue to have repeat cesareans. This is what I'm afraid of. If you keep pushing and you say, but I really want to try for this VBAC, I think it's important to pay attention to the language and the feeling, right? I'm kind of an emotional based person. So I pick up on the vibes in the room, I guess you can say. But Mm -hmm. when if a provider is saying something like, I guess I'll let you try a VBAC, that might not be somebody who's going to be super supportive of what you're trying to do. And when push comes to shove and, and you're in the middle of that experience, I don't know what that's going to look like, right? I tell them that's a question mark. But if you get somebody in there and you say, I had a cesarean birth for the following reasons. You know, I'm having a healthy pregnancy this time around. I'd really like to try for a VBAC. And you get a provider in there that's like, awesome, let's do this. You know, let's make it happen. I can be available during that time. I can be on call. I totally support you in this. That's a different attitude. That's somebody you want to partner with. So that would be a red flag, right? What's their attitude as you're saying what your goals are for your experience? But it's also, like you said, it's reading sometimes the body language. It's a lot of EQ, possibly over IQ. And that's why I'm not a big fan of the question about cesarean rates. The data isn't nuanced enough. I mean, if someone is a real good data, you know, analyst, they can tease it out. But so much of that has to do with patient population, how many 
have had many babies before, how many are older, how many are twins. Like there's a lot of things that sort of go into that. And so straight up rates are tough to to compare. You have to sort of get into the nitty gritty on that. We actually had a podcast on that exact question, how to ask it, how to get the data you want as opposed to just a number, because it's not going to be all that helpful. I've had that situation with patients where I'll say, I'll say to someone, I'll say, it's obvious to me you don't trust me, right? It's just clear from our conversation that you don't trust me. I say, why are you here? Like, why do you come to me if you don't trust what I'm, you know, if you don't trust me as a person? And it's very hard for them to answer, and they don't know why they're here. I'm like, why don't you find somebody else? Like, you know, I'm not kicking you out. Like, I'm happy to take care of you, but you clearly don't value anything I'm, you know, saying. And so it's like, and you think I'm like not here in your, you know, for your best interest. And I think that people don't realize that they can look around and find the person that they do trust. And that's going to be different for different people based on what their needs are and what their personality is and just maybe how the stars align that day. Who knows? We tell women all the time, you're the consumer. At the end of the day, you're it's an exchange of service, right? You pay money, they provide a service. And because of that, you can shop around just like you can shop around for anything else. And knowing that you have that power, I think is, is helpful for women to understand. It comes down to personality. And I know we'll get into maybe doula work a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But it, when we're interviewing other women, you know, and I tell them all the time, you know, feel free to interview more than just me. Yeah. I know I did that when I was coming up with doula, doula stuff, and it didn't have to do with what certifications my doula had or how many births that she attended. What it came down to was personality. Is this somebody I can trust and feel comfortable with in my birth space? And so I think personality is a huge part of it when you're selecting a provider. Yeah, I 100% agree. And so let's actually jump into that. Just what is a doula? What do you guys do? So a doula is someone who provides emotional support, hands-on physical support for comfort measures during labor. They're there to provide information to make sure that, you know, you're getting informed consent. They're there to support your goals and protect your birth space. We try to make it really clear that doulas do not perform any of the tasks of labor like, you know, vaginal exams or delivering the baby. That's that's not what they're trained to do. They're there for emotional physical informational support throughout labor and pregnancy and even into postpartum. And that's what they're there for. They're there for you to help. They don't advocate for you. They should never be speaking for you to the provider or anybody else, but they can help you find your voice in doing that and they can support you in that. And how do you become a doula? What is it? What's the training to become it? You can technically just be attending birth. There's no formal training that is necessary in order to become a doula. And so I think a lot of women get into it because they were at their sister's birth or they attended a friend's birth or they had this incredible experience themselves. So there's always that part of it. But if you are looking for the more technical side of things, which I found absolutely necessary, if I'm being honest, there are different trainings that you can take. And so I won't go into all of them. But Courtney and I were trained through DONA, which is doulas of North America. And they hold like a three-day workshop where they have somebody come in and train you on Not just, and I think this is where a lot of it we kind of knew because we taught childbirth education, but it's not just the hands-on stuff. It's teaching them about the process of birth. And I think that's really important because there are different stages of birth that you're helping a woman work through. And what that support looks like as it progresses is very different. Something you, Courtney, told me before, which I really liked, was that doulas are a bridge between women and their providers in terms of that part of the relationship. But then, as you said, it's more than just that because it's the entire educational piece. I mean, one of our motivations, again, for creating the My Essential Birth course, you guys both just hit on two of the things. One of the things when I took this doula workshop and I started attending more births rather than just doing the birth education piece was that I realized that there's a whole big wide world out there of other techniques for comfort measures and realize 
relaxation and fetal positioning and, you know, all that kind of stuff that I didn't know about. And here I was a childbirth educator, right? We were very limited by the curriculum that we were given to teach. We couldn't really teach anything outside of that. And here I was learning all these new, you know, rebozo techniques and spinning babies and stuff like that, that I really wanted my students to know and understand. So that was a motivating factor. The other thing too, is that just like you said, I felt like I was Again, because of curriculum restraints, I was training these women, these pregnant couples to kind of go in with their fist up into their birth space and to view their provider as somebody that they may have to fight against to get what they want. And I thought, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I want to create a bridge between educators and doulas and women and their providers, again, where we can all come together and support women in the experience that they want to have. Yeah, I think that's such an important piece of it because the majority of doulas that we work with, that I work with, are fantastic, right? They have similar philosophy to what you're describing, to what, you know, how I view birth. And it's just an amazing person to have in the room to help, right? Because I'm not in the room the entire time, obviously. I have to come in, I have to come out. There's a lot of things I have to do. And for the woman in labor, it's so helpful to have a person there who's supporting or is our team. And this is in addition to her partner, but someone maybe with more experience and more knowledge and more understanding. And then when I come in, the conversations and the discussions about what's going on and what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, all these things are to such, such a higher level because everyone's on the same plane. And that's when it's perfect, right? It's just amazing. But I found that the situation you're describing when someone, whether it's the woman in labor or the doula comes in like ready to brawl, you know, here we are, let's roll up our sleeves and wrestle. Like that's a very bad situation to be in and it can get pretty ugly. It's the exception, fortunately, but, you know, I've been in those scenarios where, you know, I'm trying to, you know, have a conversation with the woman in labor and the doula is just, you know, like going at me or sometimes the doula and the woman herself are at odds with what should be going on. And it's just, you know, that's a that's a bad triangle right there. We've been in those situations on the other end, too, where we have been, you know, maybe attending a birth as a doula, got a provider who, for whatever reasons, is following protocol. I was attending a birth at a teaching hospital and there was a med student that came in and was trying to insist upon some things that I knew from my background and training were probably not necessary, right? That's a provider mm-hmm. preference that didn't necessarily need to happen. And and the whole energy and mood in that room shifted to where I felt like we were kind of at odds, that we weren't wanting to go about the same goal in the same way. I had to pause for a minute because above anything, is that fair to the birthing mother? Is that fair to bring that kind of energy and attitude into her birth space, right? I don't I don't think that was good on either one of us. So again, I had to do my part and reiterate to this birthing couple. And I mean, mom was in active labor. She she wasn't really paying attention, right? So it's kind of more of a conversation between her partner and I and saying, look, this is the option that they're presenting on. This is why you heard them talk about that. You could ask this follow-up question to determine if it's really necessary and where you want to go from here. And from there, I had to kind of hold my peace. You know, I had to, whatever the couple decided was best for them, whether that's what I felt would be the best way to go about things or whether they felt like they wanted to do what their doctor said, it really doesn't matter. It's not my decision. It's theirs. And whatever they decide from that point on, I immediately jump on board with, even if it's not the idea that I had. And you're totally right that obviously the conflict can arise from the you know, provider side, obviously, like that could happen as well. And I'm sure it does. When I'm on the labor floor and, 
you know, not all of our patients have doulas. Some do, some don't. And you can tell that sometimes in the labor floors, a doctor will walk in and say, my patient's here with her, with her doula. And a few of the people in the room will go, oh, and then I'll be like, oh, that, and, you know, and which is, you know, I probably because they're, you know, reliving those bad experiences. And I always say, oh, I'm always like, oh, that's awesome. You know, I really, I really, I mean, again, unless it happens to go bad. And when I walk in the room, I'm, I'm like, where's the doula? You know, I'm like, I make a, I make a beeline for her. And I'm like, all right, like, who are you? Let's talk. What's the story? What's going on? And because she's going to be there the whole time. It's like she's she's in the room the entire labor and she's going to be so helpful. That's her that's her like that's why she's there is to be helpful. Right. That's it. To paraphrase the <laughs> quote, if doulas were a drug, people would be crazy not to use them. Right. Right. The incidence of induction and cesarean birth and utilization of pain medications goes down when you have a doula present. And that continuous support is just such an important thing. I laugh because I'm thinking of one thing you said during our phone call prior to this podcast recording, you're like, you know, nine out of 10 doulas. I love them, man. They're great. I'm so happy they're there. You're like, every once in a while you get one and you're wrestling on the floor with them. But then you and I came to the conclusion that isn't that true in all professions, in all yeah. walks of life, right? Nine out of 10 people are going to be amazing and awesome and good humans. And, you know, every once in a while you get some that kind of throw you for a loop. But <laughs> one, out yeah, of it's one out of 10 people, that's the number. Yeah, I, I would say it was part of our doula training that we were told, like, you leave your ego and your baggage and just whatever you have your for opinions. yourself at the door. Yeah. And I do that with every single birth as I'm walking in. It's a deep breath. And I'm like, OK, and I, I do a little prayer. I'm spiritual that way, but kind of a deep breath and like allow this to be her experience and keep me out of the way. And I think when you walk into a space that way, then it really does become about what's best for her in whatever situation she's facing. So, yeah, it's important that she has all the information. But it's also important to keep the peace in the space and to allow her the space to make her own decisions. And like we've said here, I think most things can be resolved with just asking good community, you know, communicative questions, right? Ask some more questions to find out, is this really necessary? You know, if it's not, what are my options and alternatives? If it is, you know, what's the best way to move forward where everybody feels good? There must be times where you're just like itching to just push the doctor out of the way. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm taking, I'm taking over. I'm, I'm driving the bus here. You're out of here. But uh, yeah, I think that a very, a very non-confrontational way to do that is just to say, let's talk about that. <laughs> you know, just something very silly. Hey, let's talk about that. Like you're a great idea. Let's talk about it. And there's no reason anyone shouldn't talk about it. I mean, right, women in labor are awake. Right. They're alert. Right. There's no reason they can't <laughs> yes. talk. And if there's a doula there, you know, she's awake and alert. The doctor is probably more tired than both of them, but maybe he's awake and alert. And <laughs> and I think yes. And it's just a it's just a conversation. That's really all it is. It's it's remarkable. And one thing we tell women, you can tell if something is an emergency situation if there's that space and time to talk about it. If the doctor's like, I'm I'm sorry, but we've we've got to wheel you back now. Like, you know, we can talk about it on the way, but we've got to go now. That is an emergency situation, right? When there's not that time and space to talk about it. So right, and I mean, and that's the exception. Usually, most decisions we make, there is enough time to discuss them, even the ones yeah. that are important. It happens, obviously, in labors that there's urgent decisions, and people figure that out. It's not too uh, complicated to you know get that there's an emergency going on. In terms of who would, I guess you said everyone would benefit from a doula. I guess in your in your experience, is there is there anyone who might not, or just like, well, you know, they've got this? Is it is it someone maybe on their third or fourth baby, or someone's got an amazing partner already, or 
someone just they know they're going to have an epidural anyways, and they're not really worried about pain and labor. Have you found that you're sometimes there and like, why am I here? Like, it's not helpful. No, but you're you're talking to somebody who has hired us. Right. So anytime that I've been at a birth, it's because somebody has wanted to seek out that kind of extra support and care. So even when a, a birth does and I've I've actually made it to a birth after they've had their baby Mm -hmm. and the care has still been useful. But if you're talking about specific to the actual labor process, I think most people would benefit from it unless they're kind of the ignorance is bliss, in which case they're probably not going to be seeking out a doula anyways. And sometimes it is blissful for them too. So let's be real about that. Not everybody needs a doula. Courtney did not have a doula. Mm -hmm. I didn't have one until my third. It doesn't mean that everybody has to have one or it's this perfect answer for everyone. But for those who are seeking that extra support, I would say a hundred percent of the time it makes sense to have an extra support person there. I felt like my husband was such an incredible birth support person. We always joke that, you know, he'd be a great mandula. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> you know, not that anybody would hire him, but he, <laughs> he was really great. So I never felt the need to have that extra support there. But one of the big components to our course is training the partner. We want to train you to be an amazing doula, you Mm -hmm. know, support your partner through birth. But as we sit there and we tell them what they're going to need to be focusing on, okay, you need to be paying attention to when her contractions are coming. Here's the counter pressure moves we want you to do. Here are the different positions you need to look for. We tell them all these things to monitor. You know, you want to watch her breathing. You want to watch how she's acting emotionally, pay attention to protect her space, all these things. And we start, we let them know at a certain point, if you're feeling overwhelmed by this, you may want to consider even interviewing two or three doulas. You don't have to hire them, but just interview and get a feel for if you think that having an extra set of hands would be helpful. Because if you have these marathon births, you know, over 24 hours or over 15 hours, your birth partner is going to get tired. It can be nice to have somebody to sort of tap out with, you know? Right. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I'm going to that 50% of earth knows all the men in the world were all overwhelmed with this. (laughs) (laughs) And when they say they're not, they are. They just don't want to fess up to the, you know, their their wife or whoever that they're that they're not. But the men are all terrified. <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing, and they are overwhelmed, and they need you. So you know, whatever they say, that's the truth. Um, here it is. I'm speaking for all of us. Yes, and we appreciate it because honestly, we like if you've ever taken a birth course with your wife or you know people who have, like, who was the deciding factor in that? You know, was the dad like, hey, I got this great idea, follow me? You know. <laughs> No, that's never the case. But the number one thing that we hear is from the men. I didn't know that I didn't know and how grateful they are by the end of the time mm-hmm. that now they have tools to support this person that they love and they've created this child with. So there's power in not knowing and there's power in, uh, in finally getting the education and understanding how to help. My husband was a little grumpy that he gave up Monday night football to attend a 12-week birth <laughs> course with me. But by, I would say, halfway through the course, he was just as much of an advocate for, hey, we need to do our relaxation practice. Where are you at with your nutrition goals today? Can I fix you something to help you hit that protein goal? He was just as much on board as I was and that made such a huge difference. Right. He was lying to you. He just wanted to get back to the football. <laughs> I do. My wife My wife did get me a shirt that says world's best doula. So, Aww. you know, love it. I've, I've, that's, that's awesome. my, that's my, uh, that's one of my favorite labor shirts. So it's, it's, <laughs> how, how do you wear it to births? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to wear my scrubs over it, but in, you know, it's, right. it it touches my heart. Oh, that's so cool. It's that's close, awesome. closest to my heart. All right. So someone decides they want to do. And by the way, what you're saying about the the benefits, they're real. I mean, if you look at the studies on labor and outcomes, there's this idea of one to one support. In many of the studies, like in some of the European studies, that's who we would call the labor nurse who is with them the entire time in labor. In the U.S., it's very unusual that you're going to have one to one 
nurse to patient because the typical situation, labor floor is a nurse will be covering two, maybe three patients in labor and going, and they give a lot of support, but it's divided by two or three plus all the charting and stuff they have to do. And then when she's pushing, it'll be one-to-one. But during the whole labor, the only way you really to get one-to-one support is either get really, really lucky and your nurse is there the whole time or have a doula with you. Otherwise, you just you just don't have that. If a woman's seeking a doula and you said she has to choose wisely and for her, what is it that she should look for in terms of the match? Obviously, there's you know doulas who are, who are great, but there's going to be you know, someone who's better for one person and better for a different person. How would a a woman make that choice? You interview several. Mm -hmm. And what are they looking for? It really comes down to personality. If they know what they want for their birth space before you interview, just as you would a provider, then you'll be asking questions like, well, how do you feel about, you know, supporting me at home for as long as possible before we go to the hospital? Or how do you feel supporting me just for the beginning part until I can get the epidural? There's different questions you can ask, including like, how many births have you attended? Or have you been in any emergency situations? And what does your response look like for those things? Or what kind of education do you have that you can share with me to make this a good experience? Any training that a doula might have? Has she attended births that are in or out of the hospital or both? Does she have a good working relationship? with any providers in the area? What about resources for prenatal or postpartum issues that might come up? One of the best things about being a doula is that you get to be there in the interim after a mother has had her baby and before she meets with her provider again. And you can catch a lot of those postpartum things that otherwise would go untreated or unseen or could develop right or a little worse for a couple of weeks after. And so having somebody who has that training and resources, that might be great. But as I mentioned, when I was researching and I interviewed my doulas, the doula that had all the training and had been to over 200 births, and she would have been a fabulous, fabulous person to have in my birth space. I chose the woman that had not attended a training and had been at four births ever because that was the person for me. So all of that said, I think it really does come down to who you're comfortable having in your space. I remember being at a doula get together, right? It's nice to get together with people within your same line of work. Those are the wild, wild parties. You guys, oh, yeah. <laughs> let me tell you. You guys, you <laughs> have great, best. great stories. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's to bed by nine. It's yeah. awesome. Um, anyway, one girl was telling us about how, you know, what is your interview process like? What have your interviews been like lately? And she's like, well, immediately when I get there, I sit down next to the mom and I just start massaging her hands and I work my way to my shoulders. I was uncomfortable just hearing that, you know? And so that's not something I walk in to do, but she she was a very popular doula and women picked her all the time. If I was the mother on the receiving end, I would be like, hey, you got to do- buy me dinner first. Like, don't just yeah. So again, different personalities. Some women love that. They're going to want to be touched. I was in an interview where going back to what Steph said, the first thing every pregnant woman should do is visualize their experience from pregnancy through to postpartum. What do you want that to look like? And I remember this one mom was like, I want to, I just picture myself being massaged the whole time through the whole birth. And I'm sitting here thinking, I've got a doula for you. I got the handsy one. There she is. Let me me refer you to somebody else. Yeah, do a touchy touch. (laughs) I'm hands on, but it's in a more technical way. Like we're doing counter pressure for a reason. We're doing a spinning baby's technique for a reason. You know, sure, I'll brush your hair. I'll rub your feet, but it's not going to be for 10 hours at a time. So anyway, yeah. So it's okay to just say, you know what? I love that. I love that's what you want. I think that's wonderful. I'm not sure I'm going to be the best fit for you, but let me give you some names of women who are going to be great at that. You know, when women ask me, you know, who should I use as a doula? You know, we work with some and, I, you know, I think there's people I know who are great. And I always say the most important thing that I've noticed is 
are your goals aligned with the doula's goals? And they should be 100% of the time, right? If, if you want something and the doula doesn't want you to have it, or if you don't want something and the doula wants you to have it, that's not a good situation. And you just ask. And you know, common things like, you know, if, if a woman's like, well, I, I really, really don't want an epidural. And if the doula's like, oh, you should get an epidural, right? And they know that, and this is like at, thir at 32 weeks, right? All right, that's probably not what she's looking for. And on the flip side, she goes, well, I don't want an epidural, but I'm, I'm open to it if it's something that I feel that I want. And the doula's like, no, everyone does it without, everyone does it without. That's not a good situation. You have to just make sure you're on the same page so that you two are going as almost as partners in a sense, like as, as a team. Yeah, a good doula in any situation. A mother shouldn't really know what her personal view is, period. If she's yeah. asking, should I have an epidural or, or not? My job is not to say, well, this is my experience and I think you should X, Y, or Z. My my job is to say, well, here's the benefits and risks of each. What are you looking for in your experience? And and now with that information, how do you feel about those? How can I help you get to a space that's comfortable for you with what I've just said? Right. What I have found, I think Courtney and I professionally, and it's not always the case, but when you're having a doula that's pushing one way or another, it's usually some kind of birth trauma that they've experienced mm. personally that they're trying to overcome through through the work, which is an inappropriate place to be. There definitely are doulas who express their opinions to their clients. You know, <laughs> you can be very clear what they think and what they what they believe. Right. I agree that you really shouldn't. Right. The majority, they should just be, all right, this is what you want. I'm going to help you get with and obviously we'll do education maybe the woman didn't understand something or this fine but once right. we're once we're all educated once she makes a choice that's her choice totally 100% that's exactly what it should look like do you guys ever turn people away say i'm not going to your birth like forget it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i turned away a neighbor she was a mom who had a very large family so a veteran mom i like to say <laughs> um and she was really into unassisted home birth and that's where there's no provider there. There's not a midwife. There's not anybody there other than the mother and her partner and whoever else she invites into that space. And that just was, you know, and I'm not here to talk about the pros or cons mm -hmm. of that, but that was way out of outside of my comfort zone. But it's also a liability issue for me as well. That's not something I wanted to take on because in an emergency, I'm not trained to handle that emergency. I, you know, told her, you know, that's, that's neat that you do that. I'm glad you had such a positive experience with it before. This is where, you know, my comfort zone is. And this is kind of outside of that for me. Wow. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, <laughs> there. And to be fair, there are doulas that do that. They're comfortable assisting women in unassisted births. So it's not to say that you can't find a doula for that situation. Yeah, right? just for you but, guys. <laughs> right. Exactly. So for us, yes, it has to be comfortable. And I'll say too, that's a lot. I've, that's I've, a lot of granola. Yeah. <laughs> That's that is yeah, like a hey, that's a I cupboard. Wasn't on that one. That's a cupboard I wasn't full of on granola. That granola. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I I do think Courtney and I were talking about this before because I was kind of laughing. Like you also get those clients that reach out that you're like, oh gosh, I hope they don't call me back. Like that was really weird, or like mm. there's something they're not telling me, or like <laughs> uh, you know I'm afraid to kind of show up at that person's house. Maybe the partner's giving off weird vibes. I mean, just anything. You can always kind of come through and find situations like that. But I think most the majority of the time they work themselves out. Like you're either a good fit or you're not, and you pretty much know by the end. So whether or not they call you back is, is right. another issue. Right. Like like you, like you walk in and one of them starts rubbing your hand. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's kind of our red flag. Got it. Right. right. And so, in your birth course, so it's as you said, it's it's online. It's available online. How do people find you? Is it just word of mouth? Is it people they they Google search you? Friends tell them? Is it from everywhere? Have, have you 
been able to figure out how yes. people come to you? <laughs> all of the above. Uh, all of yeah. the above. We started off on Instagram, kind of launched on there. And we obviously had a network of fellow professionals, doulas and midwives and people that we work with and asked them to help us spread the word. But we actually began a podcast, the, you know, the Pregnancy and Birth Made it Easy podcast. We hit our year mark mm-hmm. this last June. And we've actually found that that's a lot of our students are coming to us from there. And we're so happy that we found a place to reach women and, and help provide education. It's great. Also, the podcast is really a good way. It's almost like interviewing you. People get to see what you're like, what your personalities are like, what your philosophy is like, what kind of things you teach. And someone who listens to it can say, I like these people. This is someone who I would be happy to have helping me and birth or someone's someone's like, that's not me because, you know, they're not going to have me, you know, doing the unassisted home or whatever it is. They're like, they're not for (laughs) me. And, And sort of people can sort of realize who you are. On the on the front end, which is great. And, we tell people yeah. that, yeah, on the podcast. If you're if you're liking what you hear, you love our episodes. You're gonna love our birth course because it's more of us, right? And yeah, and fun. obviously the opposite is true. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so, how does your course work? Is it like back and forth with you guys, or is it just a series of videos? Or how does it how does it work logistically for people who sign up for it? Yeah, so it's a pre recorded course. It's uh-huh. very professionally done. So we have about eight hours worth of course content, and we set it up in an eight week series. So each class, class one through eight, will have several lessons within each one. One thing that we did do is we were very straight and to the point. So there's no fluff. Like when we right. taught our courses in person, it was like make sure it lasts two hours, have a snack break, do these exercises, and this is like I think class one, lesson one or too when we're talking about the reasons why we want to aim for this kind of nutrition it's like less than five minutes like it's quick it's to the point the information's there and then we have others that are like here's all the different scenarios that can happen during birth or a vast majority of the most common ones and it's over an hour so it's set up to go week by week we also have a quicker like if you wanted to do it all in four weeks it takes you through how to do that and then there's a workbook that goes along with it you're given assignments each week videos to watch meditations to download labor rehearsals to do and then we also put in put you into a members only private Facebook group. And it has Courtney and I, we answer questions. We just did a live labor rehearsal the other night. We have other birth professionals, including postpartum specialists, breastfeeding, bereavement specialists, midwives. midwives. Oh, okay. So that if you have a question in the middle of the night, you can ask somebody and get it answered. Or if Steph and I can't answer the question, we'll tag one of those professionals who will know the answer. Right. Right. So they sort of join the the community that you set up. Exactly. I would imagine that many, if not most of the people who are in your course are not ultimately going to have you guys as doulas at birth, right? There's those are right. separate those are separate not entities, but they're sort of separate services. Right. Well and they because they come from all over the world. Right. We've got Australia and right. Canada and just all over the place. So yeah, we're we're limited <laughs> right. to who we can doula for. Wow. What's it like for you guys? I'm just, I was always curious being on call, being on call at night, this idea, you know, I've got someone who's due and I mean I know what it's like for me, but what's it like on the doula side? It depends. When we were first starting out, I'll speak for myself. When I was first starting out, it was super stressful. I took my phone everywhere with me. I had it in the shower. I felt like I never slept. I was always checking it during the night. And then you kind of get into this like, okay, I the groove of like doula work. The fact is I can be anywhere and have to leave. I need to keep my phone near me, but it doesn't have to rule my life. And I can take vacations, but I have to schedule and plan births around that. So as far as that goes, just making sure you have the logistics in place, I'd say is the biggest trickiest thing when we're moms and we've got these little babies at home. But other than that, I mean, that's what you sign up for. So if, I don't know. If you're I... not planning for it, right, then <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I think something magical happens when you become a parent and suddenly you become kind 
of a much lighter sleeper. We had my husband and I, four <laughs> kids in five years. I was up in the night usually with someone anyway, you know, even my big kids. I've got a teenager now and he'll still every once in a while. I mean, it's rare, but he'll come in first. I had a bad dream or whatever. So I don't know. I'm used to being woken up in the middle of the night. Not a big deal then to take a doula client call right. in the middle of the night. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and so I, I want to talk a little bit about the podcast. So you said you had your anniversary in June, right? So it's been a year and and change. And how has your listenership grown? Like, where did it start? Where are you now? It started off really slow. It's been very organic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I'd say a couple months in, we had like 150 listeners, maybe mm-hmm. 200. We were so excited about that. It, we were so it's excited. Nice. I mean, it's flattering that yeah. 150 people give a crap yeah. about what you're saying. I mean, right? Yeah. It's, that's nice. <laughs> Right. You go in a room, you never have 150 people listening to you. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no. And then I think, you know, we did place at the beginning of the podcast and we started asking listeners, you know, if if you're liking what you listen to, will you please help us to grow this channel by leaving us a review? Because that's mm-hmm. kind of how the analytics for that work. And so we and started with friends. Yes. Yeah. We started getting some reviews. We talked about it and included stuff on our Instagram and it did really start to grow organically. And now we've got, you know, over 130,000 downloads and thousands of listeners and we're number one for unmedicated birth on iTunes and we're pretty high up there for pregnancy and birth. So it's it's been a really neat experience watching it grow. That's really cool. And then how do you guys choose your topics? A lot of times it comes in through requests. We'll ask on Instagram, we'll pop on there on live or on stories and say, all right, you guys really loved our, you know, we had a circumcision episode that was really popular because we presented the pros and cons. But what else do you guys need help with? What do you want to hear about? And so we try to listen to what our audience wants to hear about. And we honor those requests and record a lot of episodes on those topics. Yeah. And then if we've had anything recent, like I know like things that spark me or ideas for us will be like recent births that we've attended or questions that we've taken from our Facebook members only group. When things come up that we're like, oh, we need to talk about this with a greater audience. That's kind of where those come from. Right. And obviously this is it's great information and it's good advertising for, you know, your course. But what about the podcast do you enjoy the most? Like what what is the fun part of it for you? Oh my gosh, the reviews light me up. If I'm having a rough day, right? Because I think we mentioned we both homeschool our kids. Stephanie works another job. We're, we're busy women. And there's times where it can all feel a little bit overwhelming. And why am I doing this? Why did I add more to my plate? And then you get a review on that podcast, you know, on iTunes, and you just go, oh my gosh, you know, it's women saying this has been so helpful. I went from feeling afraid and worried about pain or not sure what this would look like to feeling so excited and empowered. And thank you so much. These episodes have changed my life. How can you not feel good about that? How can you not want to keep going and helping? That's my emotional partner speaking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm over here like, because I love to talk. I'll talk all day. And then we get to do it for professional purposes and talk about birth. Yeah. Sign me up, you know. (laughs) We are two women who love to talk, so it's easy to do. It is easy. Isn't it amazing, though, that it's just the idea that you could speak for 30 minutes, 40 minutes about a topic you know a lot about. You don't have to sit and research it. It's interesting. You would talk about it hanging out at the beach or whatever it is, but just the fact that there's such yearning for people to to listen to it, that someone's like, I can't get this elsewhere, or I don't know where to find it. It's just remarkable that it's not easier to find good information out there. It's just, it's unbelievable. Oh, totally. I think that's what blew us away. We're like, we have 150 people who care about what we're saying for 30 minutes. Like, wow, (laughs) (laughs) I guess that is kind of cool. It's really cool. And now, Stephanie, I I wanted to, to just veer off to the side for one second. You just completed a marathon. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I did. 
biggest thing of my entire life. <laughs> T- tell me about that. What first of all, what motive? I, I, I've I've done them before. I think it's awesome. So we're gonna talk running for a second. So what made you do it? How'd you train? What was your experience like? This has nothing to do with childbirth. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, that's fine. In fact, we just did a podcast how it, we related it back and forth. I, I listened. Hear. And I you think did. Were, okay. Yes. Yes. There's it a ton was, of similarities. Yeah. There are so a ton we, of similarities. And we were told like in our trainings and stuff, like it's like running a marathon and, and all this, which is great, but I didn't have the like actual, that's not why I ran it though. Mm-hmm. So last year I decided to run a half marathon and I was just doing it as like a challenge for myself, like mm-hmm. a challenge. I wanted to challenge myself in one part of my life I knew I could do the physical and the idea was that it would bleed into everything else which it totally did and so when I did that half marathon which I had never run over six miles before in my life and I'd only done that once when I hit that goal I just started crying like over the finish line I was like oh my gosh I set out to do this like really hard thing and I did it and then kind of joking that like this year when I was training for this marathon that I ran a half marathon as just part of the training like five or six times yeah I was just running half marathons I mean it was crazy because when I did that at the end of last year, I couldn't believe I had run that much. And then I just doubled that this year. So it was really powerful. And I think, I mean, if you want to relate that to birth, just the mental state that you have to be in or the mental push that you have to give to allow yourself to be pushed a little further, to go a little further. It's incredible what your mind and body can do. So it was a really powerful experience. Right. I mean, people usually underestimate their capacity for what they can do. And I mean, a marathon, it's it's one of those things you're like, how on earth would I run 26 miles? And you can take someone who's never run before. And again, it's just baby steps. If you can get yourself to run a mile, then you can run three. And if you can run three, you can run six. And if you can run six, you can do a half marathon. And anybody who ran a half marathon, right, unless they injure themselves and can't run, they can run a marathon. It's absolutely yeah. true. It's just, it's a matter of pushing yourself and pushing yourself and taking time. It takes time, but it's, it's and training. It's real. that's amazing. Good for you. And how'd it go? Was it like yeah. when you finished, were you just just totally flabbergasted. Yeah, I was amazed. I, and if you heard the episode, I was mostly amazed because I had I got an injury about 18 and a half miles in that I'd never experienced before. I had some pain with my IT band mm-hmm. and we limped for like a mile and a half. And so, yeah, when I crossed that finish line, it wasn't just the emotional like, holy cow, I did that. But it was also the physical. I can't believe I pushed my body to do that. And I still have a limp and I'm totally fine with it. It's like that cesarean <laughs> scar. You're like, I did that thing. I earned that. that'll 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 go away i uh the last marathon i ran one of the new york city ones i tore my groin muscle at mile four oh so oh my gosh yeah so 22 miles of literally like ouch step ouch step ouch step for oh my gosh it was it was pretty horrifying but i trained for 18 weeks with a buddy of mine i'm right i'm I'm, I'm finishing this like forget it and and i'm also (laughs) i'm in the middle of brooklyn and it's 40 degrees out and if i stop i might drop dead so i have to get out of here and my rides in the city so there really wasn't a choice anyways oh my gosh yeah good for you uh, because i stopped running when it hits 40. (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah oh it's all good i'm so happy you guys came on i'm happy you do what you do i'm happy you two exist and doulas exist i think you guys are awesome And I have looked at your website and what you're offering. I didn't take your course, but obviously I think your course would be amazing. And that's My Essential Birth, which is your website, myessentialbirth.com. And then I've listened to your podcast. I think it's fantastic. Anyone who's interested in childbirth, either you're going to go through it, you're in the middle of it, or you've had it and just curious. And that's the Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy podcast. 
And it's just fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, it's, Dr. Fox. It's been a pleasure. Dr. Fox. Yeah. Okay. You can call me Nate. Nate. <laughs> Nate. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.